Welcome everybody to uh, Workflow Wednesday with Ren from Corridor Digital. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, oh, I'm super nervous, so now I kind of forget my normal intro. But um, Workflow Wednesday with Ren. How, how, how do you Welcome pronounce your, your last name appropriately? I don't want to get it wrong. It is Weichman. Mike Weichman. Okay, from yeah. Corridor Digital, VFX artist, director, and uh, doer of things, as is in one of our videos with you guys. Um, man, I'm super stoked to have you here today. This, one, this one's been a big one for me. I'm very excited. And um, so this is going to be really cool. Um, so just in case, um, I, I like to start off, just in case there's somebody here who doesn't know already who you are, what you do, and, and all that good, good jazz, give us a... Um, Give us a, 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 an intro. Yeah, sure thing. Well, first off, thank you for having me, Houston. I'm excited to be here. Uh, my name is Ren. I'm part of the YouTube channel Corridor Digital. Uh, we actually have multiple different YouTube channels. We do uh, a bunch of different things. We have the short films YouTube channel, and we have a non-short films YouTube channel. <laughs> I'm awful at explaining that. But basically, uh, we explore a lot of different uh, filmmaking techniques, a lot of different uh, interesting ideas. I have my own set of ideas that I like to pursue, and it all kind of just goes on this channel where me and a bunch of friends have a good time. The end. <laughs> oh, I love, I love it. I, I think a little off topic, but like, I love that we are in an era where that kind of a thing can be true. Like, it's just me and my buddies. Yeah. We're doing the thing that we love the most, and and it's and it's a thing. Like, we can live our lives doing this, and that is so cool. No, absolutely. If you, if you told me that, like, you know, 10, 12 years ago, this would be what I was going to be doing as a career, I would have been like, huh, I don't understand what you mean. <laughs> right? It is, it is so cool. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, well, so I guess um, to start, um, to be, we'll be a little, a little generic, but there was also someone from uh, Twitter had, had asked this uh, question as well. Um, so Real Ali Abbas 13 on Twitter um, asked, what was the first 3D software you ever used? And also, how did you get into visual effects? Okay, two very big questions. Um, <laughs> Is that a good place to start? Well, honestly, legitimately, the okay. If I'm being technical, the first 3D package I ever used is a program called SolidWorks, and I learned how to use that in college. Uh, it was an engineering program, and uh, I haven't really used that since for any anything. Uh, but as far as like 3D, like models and stuff, not modeling, but the first time I ever started dealing with a 3D object was this plugin for After Effects called Element 3D. Okay. I got it as soon as it came out. It's from Video Copilot, and uh, Video Copilot is what taught me how to learn how to do visual effects. We're talking back in like 2009 is when I actually started learning oh, wow. how to do visual effects, um, which was after I had already started going to college, and I was treating it as like a hobby for several years. And uh, eventually, I was I was into it enough and into YouTube enough that I decided to try to pursue that path. But as far as like visual effects, that was where I started was like learning how to use After Effects, which is basically just video Photoshop is compositing and I was learning how to do visual trickery using that. But eventually you kind of hit a bar or, or a ceiling rather, where you can't really do more things without generating that content. And that's where 3D modeling and stuff comes in. Okay. CGI. And uh, I, with no experience, the only thing I knew how to do was uh, use Element 3D, which I'd gotten, uh, had great tutorials, video copilot, very classic. And that eventually got to a point where I was able to transition to using a program called 3ds Max. So if you uh -huh. want like an actual legitimate first 3D program that I used, 3ds Max is the one. Okay. And I used that for years. Uh, eventually, like I want to say two years ago, I transitioned over to using Cinema 4D. And that was kind of a big deal for me because like transitioning between software packages is not the easiest thing, oh. but it's not the hardest thing either. It's just like, sure. it's just a big mental step you have to take. Uh, so yeah, that's 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 what I did. Now I'm now C4D is the is the program of choice. Uh, my coworker and very close friend Clint has become a Cinema 4D master at this point. Um, yeah, back in the day, like I was the one giving him tips on how to like use 3D programs, and now he has to explain to me how to do simple things. <laughs> oh wow. wow, that's cool though. That you know you, you grow and progress and, and change. Yeah. So that's that's good. Right on. So I mean. Um, so for me personally, that that illustrates kind of a, a bit of a difference. Um, I until I started kind of talking with people like you and, and kind of dabbling more uh, into the the VFX space, I always thought um, a, 
almost all of those effects were done within After Effects. And and the way that you put that uh, that After Effects is more like Photoshop for video kind of puts a different spin on it. You don't right. like the particle effects and the explosions or like or you know the objects that you create aren't done in After Effects. That's done elsewhere and then brought into After Effects to to be a part of the the video stuff. And so that was kind of a big. Um, a bit of a mind blow for me to to see that. So now, granted, After Effects does have some really cool plugins out there made by third parties that you can use inside. Like for instance, a particle system. There's this plugin called Particular from uh, Red Giant, and it is an incredible uh, plugin. I, I, I use it to simulate all kinds of different like sparks or, or particles or whatever. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's it's very powerful. It's one of my favorite uh, After Effects plugins because you can do anything from making like little like actual spark hits to uh, instead of using particles, you can use sprites. So you oh. can use little like cloud, like uh, cloud images that are like mm -hmm. slightly transparent. And when you have those as a particle system, you can have a lot of them. Then you can make like a smoke trail. We did that on our video we did last year of uh, Boss Town Dynamics. Yeah. Um, the second one, technically the 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 militarized robot version. At the very end, the robot escapes and he's go he goes running up into the mountains. But he had he's leaving this dust trail as he's kicking up dust on the ground, and that's right. the exact same plugin that uh, to make that smoke trail as I used for like any sort of like magical like Harry Potter style like particle effects that I, I've also done back in the day. Same oh, exact neat. plugin. Oh, that that's pretty cool. So um, actually, that kind of is a good part of that. It leads to a good question. Another one from Twitter from at uh, Eric underscore F. A K FAC Eric FAC. Okay. Uh, he says, "How has the workflow for Corridor changed over the past couple of years, other than PC upgrades and stuff?" And so um, that also ties to a kind of a question that I had: like, how do you bring uh, a, a project from idea to final product? Oh and gosh, how has that changed? Another question. <laughs> that's two big different questions. <laughs> sure, sure. Um, okay. What, what was the first question? It was, "How do we?" Uh, what's how the has, big how has how, the workflow work changed? Okay, so honestly, the workflow itself hasn't really evolved too much over the last several years. Okay. More than anything, uh, our company management style has evolved more than anything. Especially over the last year, we have doubled in size. Oh, wow. Employees. Uh, and so that's kind of been the biggest thing is just like uh, workflow has had to kind of adapt to having more people in the wings and more people to utilize. Uh, and not to mention the whole fact that we've spent months this year working from home. Right. Um, yeah, we, we did like two and a half months working from home uh, beginning early March. And then we spent like a month where we kind of all came back, but then now we're also, now we're all back home again. Sure. <laughs> but but uh, with big, huge asterisks there, part of us, some of us are here, some of us, most of us are working from home, mm -hmm. but that has introduced its own workflow evolution of having to sure. you know utilize Google Drive and stuff like that um, to transfer files. Uh, yeah, as far as workflow, we get taking a project from idea and concept to uh, final uploaded video. Gosh, man, I could I could spend an entire hour just detailing that. <laughs> um, it all starts with like a conversation, you know, like you're just having a, a conversation with a friend. Sometimes it's natural, sometimes it's uh, an actual brainstorm session. Okay. Um, but it usually just starts with us just kind of kicking ideas around, just literally just talking, having a good time, as if like you're you know having beers at a bar or something like that. I miss those times. Um, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, and then eventually we get to a point where we start kind of identifying, okay, that's a good idea. This is another good idea. How do we focus that? And eventually we get to a point where we have like this like this coalesced energy ball of, of a concept. And it's the responsibility of one of us to basically put that into writing. So we'll have a Google Doc okay. where, where we'll like write out a, a draft or a script if it is a script or some or just basically get it down on paper. And eventually we get to a point where we're like, okay, this is the video we want to make. At that point, no pre-production has been done other than you know writing out the idea for the video or the script or the dialogue and the concept. From there, uh, we'll work with uh, other people here at the company to start kind of identifying things we need before we can begin shooting, such as a schedule, uh, actual sure. physical items, who will be needed on set. Uh, wow. If it is like a thing, sometimes a lot of videos I make, I'm the only person needed. I can make them myself. Uh, okay. so, a corridor short film, on the other hand, it needs a crew, it needs actors, it needs cameramen, stuff like that. And so all of that goes down. Then we we do the whole thing. We do the shoot. Sometimes it's one day. Sometimes it's five days. Rarely five days. Usually we try to keep it <laughs> under two days. Um, yeah. And then from there, it's 
we usually spend a week editing. Um, someone will will spend a week editing that video. And by editing, I don't mean visual effects. I mean like literally taking all of the raw footage, cutting gotcha. it into pieces into an actual like timeline. And that's usually not something multiple people can really do. It's usually the responsibility of one person to at least do a pass. From there, they'll either do a second pass or hand it off to someone else to do another pass. And eventually wow. that, that first rough cut gets cut down to its most efficient form. That doesn't necessarily mean shorter. It just means uh, more efficient in, in like terms storytelling? of storytelling. Yeah, and t like the best thing for the video. For instance, our most recent Domino's video mm -hmm. had gone through multiple different iterations. We had had this one from the very beginning. We had this moment planned in the video of um, like kind of stopping to take a break and kind of just enjoying all the Domino's going down. It was going to be like this big thirty-second sequence of watching Domino's go through the city and. Uh, we kind of covered that in the behind the scenes video to the Domino's video, but uh, what the main reason why that moment ended up getting cut is because of feasibility of actually achieving the video. If we were to actually try to do that, the video would have taken too long to create. It would oh. have taken, because it would have been far too challenging to 3D track all these shots, uh, place all the different dominoes within the scene and then simulate them and then render them out and then composite them into the real footage again. Um, and we were already struggling to get everything we wanted done uh, in the time we had. And that was already basically Clint was the only person working on that thing for like two straight months. You know, he was doing a lot of the visual effects, a lot of the editing and and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, normally we try to keep turnaround times on videos short, not necessarily because sure. we get them done quickly, but because uh, the longer a video takes to make, the more expensive it becomes just due to whoever, you know, paying for whoever's actually editing that uh, versus working on other projects. Okay. At a certain point, if you spend too much time on a video, you ha it has to like get a big amount of viewership in order to, you know, recoup the cost of making it. Um, and at a certain point, it's also just like, we should move on to other things. Yeah, <laughs> My yeah. biggest mantra uh, in in making videos and like whether that's visual effects or whatever video it is, it doesn't matter what you're doing now. It matters that the next thing is what matters. It's always the next thing. It's like it's it's very much so a quantity over quality in general. Obviously, you want to maintain a high bar of quality, but sure. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of different things. So that's those are the sort of things you have to like kind of consider when trying to like make YouTube videos for a living. Uh, and that, that's so that's our workflow. <laughs> sure, sure. No, and that's interesting too because like I can <clears throat> see where the balance of of like you said quantity and quality. It's like you do have you do have like a goal of x number of videos a week or what have you, but you also want them to be the best you can in yeah. that amount of time. And because yeah, you could end up spending forever on one video making it just perfect. But yeah, it's it's the law of diminishing returns. You know, like the Domino's video has, still has several visual effects errors in it. The worst is uh, there's this long tracking shot and the tracking seems initially to be okay, but like the ground plane is off. You can see off in the distance, the, the like the Domino's are sliding across the ground. It's like, ugh, I want to fix that so badly. But it's such like an early process thing to fix that. It would require having to go all the way back to the beginning of the shot, retracking it, re-simulating the Domino's, re-ex- oh, wow all of it. It's not something you could fix at the end. So there's a lot of things that's like, well, we just have to deal with it. Cause right. sure. If we had another week, we can make it a lot better. We can, we can polish this up with one extra week. Right. But the thing is, is that it's like, it's that it's like a tiny 5% improvement overall. So yeah. it's like, okay. is and it is, worth it? And is the average viewer going to notice or do you notice because it's your, yeah. you know, it's your baby as an artist, <laughs> it hurts. It's like you want to make it as good as possible. And you're always like trying to like figure out, okay, how, what's the most efficient use of my time to make this as good as it can possibly be? Mm -hmm. um, you know, where are the shortcuts I can take? Where are the things that I have to just like pull the knife out of my heart and be like, I, I can't fix that moving on. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, actually that, so that, that efficiency of time and, and versus diminishing returns and things um, we have that kind of in my, I don't know, it kind of leads to another question I think is relevant uh, from, from Twitter as well from at Nika four Norris. Uh, any advice for more efficient render times um, in regards to videos and VFX? Oh boy. Um, Cause I imagine time. that's part of the consideration when you're, when you're deciding like shots and things like that is like, okay, we want to do this, but it's going to take, 
six hours to to accomplish that like how how would you have any advice in making those sorts of decisions well there's a bunch of different kinds of rendering you know it's like uh some some types of rendering times you just can't get around uh, sure. uh like for instance if you have a final export for your video and it's going to take an hour i mean yeah. there's not really much you can do to make that half an hour and it's like well just you know live with it other situations for instance i keep referencing the domino's video because it's the most sure. recent thing we've done um you know, some of those renders are 700 frames long. It's, they're very long renders. Uh, and so even if you can get the per frame render time down pretty low, it just stacks up over the course of a lot. So like getting like literally shaving seconds off of each frame matters. Oh, sure. uh, and so for, for, for the rendering program we use, it's called Octane. And basically it just takes an image and it renders the entire thing instantly, but it, it, it gets better over time. So, so like for the first few seconds, it's a very noisy, grainy looking image, but you're looking at basically the final thing, but the longer it goes, the less noisy it gets and the oh. more detail it gets. Okay. So that's, that's something that you can kind of shave time off of is being like, okay, uh, originally I was going to render this out with 2000 samples for this mm -hmm. frame and that'll make a nice, ah, nice crisp image. But it also takes a minute to render out that frame in order to get that many samples. And you're like, okay, with all these frames, that means it's gonna take six hours to render the shot. Mm. I need to have this done before I leave to go home for the night, which is in four hours. Okay. Because I'm gonna set up a new render to go overnight. Mm -hmm. So I don't wanna stay late, you know, an extra two hours to wait for this render to finish. So you know what? I'm just gonna make it go like 1200 samples instead of 2000. And that'll actually increase the, or decrease the amount of time it takes to render each frame and then the okay. overall render is now you know three or four hours instead of six uh, other things you can do are just like lower the resolution of your of your render okay um resolution online is the most overrated thing right in, content. in my opinion no one can tell the difference between uh i, I shouldn't say nobody practically no one can tell the difference <laughs> between 720p and 8k and i i say those as extremes sure because uh, I can tell the difference between 720p and 1080p versus 4. Yeah, and a lot of people can. Sure. But there's so many times when it's like it, the red, the crispness of each pixel doesn't matter because the compression is going to ruin it all anyway. Right. Um, compression has a bigger factor in what you're seeing than the resolution of that thing. If you have no compression, then resolution plays a bigger factor. Right. Uh, so, for instance, sometimes what I will do is for like my personal videos where I'm just like making like a a quick little video uh, it'll be a 1080p project for like some of these science videos i've done in the last year and then i'll actually export it out at an upscaled resolution to 4k Ooh. and i'll do that inside the program using proper upscaling uh plugins sure, sure. um to kind of like interpolate the actual pixel so it, you are getting a crispier image um but then youtube takes that 4k video and actually it unlocks a higher bit rate for the video itself. So you end up with less compression on that video file. And that matters more than the actual uh, resolution itself. Okay. Oh, that's that's good to know. Wow. Usually for all of our, usually if we're making a 4K video, we will do it all in 4K, export it at 4K, but the visual effects are done again. Okay, so. If we're doing like a say the Domino's video for instance, or maybe, mm -hmm. maybe not that one, but like a classic corridor short film, it'll sure, be a sure. 4K final video. The whole edit will be in 4K. All of the video clips are in 4K. It's a proper, legitimate 4K resolution. Right. Um, even the After Effects files are in 4K, but the renders of like say the Boss Town, excuse me, uh, of the Boss Town robot, that'll be rendered out at 1080p. Okay. And then we will just literally just upscale it 200% to 4K. Okay. Because that you can easily do because we're already going to be adding blur to this render to match it to our footage anyway if you were to render it out at 4k it's going to take four times longer to render and then you're going to undo all that work by adding a little bit of fast blur to smush it around to make it match your actual footage <sighs> so that's that's something that we've done to kind of like lower render times is like a, like tactically lower your resolution yeah that's yeah no that's i think that's really good advice especially 
for some uh, for those of you you know part of the audience or people who are watching this later who may not have quite uh, the robust hardware that you guys do um, that's something to consider like it's okay to to kind of lower the resolutions on things and here and there because because of all those considerations the compression and that kind of a thing yeah so, now granted there are like some broadcast standards that a lot of people have to hold to you know like color uh, you know color channels that you can't like go outside of or resolution yeah standardized stuff but this is the wild west of youtube where literally no one cares and it's all about what you make <laughs> yeah yeah and i think i think people tend to to kind of forget that you know a good portion of viewers are on mobile and yeah, and, and a 4k like if i pull up youtube and i try and watch a 4k youtube video on my 1080p screen is that really going to make a difference um and and yeah i think people forget about that kind of a thing and, and it makes it harder on themselves yeah <laughs> um let's see uh we did have a um oh um we have a, a question this one's actually from youtube from um uh, one of my team members kelly he's asked um uh oh there it is is there a software package you or the team want to investigate or add to your pipeline houdini Oh, well, so a little background on I I know the word um, more than just a magician, but in the software aspect. <laughs> no, uh, okay. I, so, I so what is it, and why why are you interested? So Houdini is a uh, an effects program, and by effects I mean like dynamics, and it's it's a very We're talking special, like water splashes and and all of the, the like the smoke ball thing. All and, of the above, absolutely. Okay. So like Cinema 4D is great for for all kinds of things. It's a very general tool. It's very good at doing a lot of things. It's the same reason why we still use After Effects instead of Nuke. Nuke is another compositing program, but it's tailored a little bit more towards the visual effects industry and that sort of pipeline of taking you know multiple different render passes. Uh, combining it with footage in like a really pro way and efficient way uh, and whatnot. It has more specialized tools than After Effects does when it comes to compositing. However, After Effects is more general. It can do more things than Nuke can. Uh, like text animation, motion graphics sort of stuff. You can literally pretty much do anything. I don't know how to use Photoshop. I only use After Effects to do all of my Photoshopping. Oh, that's cool. You can save out just single frames. Sure. Um, so in that, in that sort of comparison, Cinema 4D is the After Effects and Houdini is the nuke. So what Houdini can do is is very like specialized uh, 3D uh, systems, uh, particle systems, uh, command bait, like it's, it's hard to de describe, uh, but it, it, imagine this, I, I read this comparison once. Uh, Cinema 4D, you can model a chair. Okay. You can create a chair in Cinema 4D. In Houdini, you can create a chair factory. Oh. So it's it's it takes a lot more effort up front to like kind of create things, but then when you're done, suddenly you can spawn all these chairs along like the surface of geometry or something like that. For instance, you can have a person uh, walking along and all of a sudden these leaves fly off the trees and start assembling around the leg and spiral up uh, around his body and torso and head until he's completely covered in leaves uh, in a very dynamic system. You can change just a couple parameters and suddenly the entire system is now changed because it's more of like a, a it's more of like a coding thing yeah. than a specific like I'm going to intentionally put the the leaf here. I'm going to keyframe it from here, from there to here. Here it's yeah. like uh, you set in like a, a random seed and it'll the, your system will now evolve into that place. Wow. Um, but it's also very uh, notorious for being a complex and hard to understand program that takes a lot of time to learn. Okay. Um, and it's also so specialized that we haven't really had the biggest need to learn how to use it on top of it being a very expensive program. Um, <laughs> so that's the main reason why we haven't yet, but it's the one that's been most intriguing to me over time. Yeah, that sounds really neat. Because uh, the way you explained that, um, it, 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 it triggered some of my software development past and it sounds like it's it's more about being able to create kind of a, an object that you can then make multiple copies of but in and then change the parameters of that object without having to recreate it every single time Man. or 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 proceed it's, it's very procedural you can create like buildings and literally generate like a million different kinds of buildings just off wow. of a small number of parameters okay that's neat Ooh, that'll yeah, be cool I'll, that'll be really cool um Let's see. What was the uh, this one also from Twitter from the Idiot Squad Two? 
<laughs> Second place idiot squad? I guess so. <laughs> uh, what was the hardest effect you had to do in a video? Uh... And, and I would like to qualify this. Before you had an epic Puget system and after. Because I know, I know there was a point where um, you guys, you wanted to do a certain project, but just kind of had to put it aside because what the tools you had available weren't up to snuff. And so now that you have a more robust, um, God, it's like, you know? I don't know how to define hardest visual effects shot because mm -hmm. there are visual effects shots that were very challenging and very difficult, uh, but didn't take that long. And there are other okay. shots that perhaps in theory were a little bit um, simpler conceptually to achieve, mm -hmm. but just by the nature of the effect just required a tremendous amount of time. Okay. Um, I did this video a few years ago uh, called Real Mario Galaxy. You know, the video game Mario Galaxy? Yeah. Um, basically, I just used a 360 camera to do that little planet effect where you, if you just walk circles around the 360 camera on the ground, it'll look mm -hmm. like you're literally just like walking around a planet. Oh, sure. But I took that concept and I actually, you know, put those planets in like this like atmospheric out, outer space type Mario environment and we were able to like jump between planets and have like a little Mario video. That like none of the effects in that video were really that difficult, but it was there were a lot of like challenges that made it really hard to achieve. Um, and it just took a long time. Render times were really ridiculous on that. Um, as far as within the recent history, I'd say Boss Town 2 was really challenging. Yeah. Uh, for a number of reasons uh on set it was it, we we lost our entire first day of shooting almost we lost oh. half of our first day of shooting oh, um, no. because we we uh lost the motion capture data in our suit oh, uh long story we don't exactly know how we lost it but the point of the matter is that we didn't have it so we had to go back okay. and shoot it again um wow. and and yeah so getting the the robot rendered out and whatnot was fine but like we had the mo we had the strangest problem on on compositing for that thing. So normally it's just a simple matter of for painting a person out. Like for instance, Clint in the suit, we had to paint him out. And normally that's like not a hard effect. It's just a tedious effect because you have to like track your shot, tracking clean plates, and then kind of like paint over it and like kind of make sure it's all good. But the way we were doing it was with a a uh, a 3D camera track on a nodal pan so it's basically it's it's tracking the scene in 3d but it's assuming that the camera is in a fixed position and not okay. actually moving through 3d space that's what's called a free camera move and those are usually easier to solve uh i take that back um a nodal pan is in theory incredibly easy to solve because it's just 2d tracking these points move from there to here up to there whatever okay. um the problem is that our camera was on a tripod and it's moving around, but the lens was extended further out from the actual like point of rotation. So as the camera would turn from like, say right to left, the lens actually physically moved through space a few inches. Oh. And that was enough to actually create parallax between mm -hmm. objects in the foreground and the background. So just taking a simple still frame from one angle and tracking it in, wouldn't actually line up with everything the moment the camera went over here because right. the background moved a little bit less than the foreground a little bit just a little bit but it was noticeable because we'd have like these we'd have like a bar in the background where the like the mask went through and it would be perfectly here and then the camera would move over here and the bar would be like Rrr. oh weird. Uh, and so we ended up having yeah it was that was a nightmare of a thing that was a nightmare of a wow so how do you fix that uh you just throw a lot more time at it, trying to, you, you basically just get a lot more uh, smaller clean plate chunks. Um, we also utilized uh, content aware fill from After Effects, which at the time was a fairly new uh, feature within After Effects. And that basically just, you, you make a mask over a thing and it tries to just fill it in and make it look like the background. And that actually right. worked really well, but it still left lots of artifacts that we had to clean up the same way you try to remove a person to begin with. Right. It was just a lot of time, a lot of time, weeks. I spent weeks just painting out Clint from the shot, and oh, then no. and then masking back in everything else that also got painted out where Clint was going. We had yeah, it was that was that was a process. I'm so glad that video did well. <laughs> yeah, I I thought it was super cool to see other like news people thinking it was real, like. Like like the the robot uprising was now and stuff like that. You guys did such a good job with that that <laughs> people were taking it seriously. It was blowing people's minds. I thought that was so cool. 
Yeah, my favorite is just seeing like the tweets from actual celebrities who are like, "This is real." Yeah. <laughs> what a how how it's almost um like War of the World style. Like you could have you know you, you almost think like yeah. man it could get out of hand. Um, yeah, that's super neat. Yeah, Boston Dynamics wasn't a big fan of that second video. <laughs> oh, huh, huh. Is that something like you guys could have gotten in in kind of in trouble for? Ah. Uh... Define could have gotten in trouble. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, certainly we could have gotten in trouble if they chose to, you know, not take it well. The first video they really liked. We, we started a conversation with them. They were open to it. The second video was problematic because it was like a militarized robot and everyone thought the robot was real and everyone thought it was Boston Dynamics that made it. So Boston Dynamics themselves started getting a lot of trolling and hate mail and whatnot Ooh. from the public. And of course, it's just not a good look for them to have this like, yeah. yeah. So obviously we've we've tried to distance ourselves from Boston Dynamics even further, but if we were to try to do that again, it probably wouldn't go over well. It probably uh, Yeah. So Yeah. <laughs> uh let's see, we have another question here from from the YouTube audience from Eric Fack, actually. Um Ren, what are your top three favorite plugins? Oh boy. Um like After Effects plugins or just like like what kind of plugs do I like to plug my shower with? All right. No, uh, let's let's say After Effects. <laughs> no, I was I was being a little <laughs> there. Right. Um, but it's just so satisfying to plug my hair dryer in. It's just <laughs> that, that click is just. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd say probably I mentioned it earlier. Trap Code Particular is one of my favorites. Um, um, there's this. It's it's an. I don't know if it's an effect or a plugin, but it's a third party uh, thing that you install for After Effects called Effects Console from video copilot it's a free plugin and it's basically a shortcut manager oh. um you can select a layer and you can hit control space bar and it opens up this like uh this quick search window where you can like type in your effect and hit enter and the effect that you wanted is now applied to your layer but without having to like search through the the giant list of effects to choose what you want or even having to go up to that special window click on it and search for it this is like you hit a button and you can immediately start typing hit enter and it's applied you have shortcuts oh, within nice. that you can just hit you can hit that button and then hit like a number key to hit your shortcut for a certain effect or a certain set of effects um it's it's probably my most used plugin by far because i use it for everything in after effects uh apart from that gosh i don't know um Do you hear a banging? I thought someone might have been walking on your ceiling. I think, yeah, I think we, we have some construction going on next door. We're renovating oh. our, our, our old studio because we're going to try to expand into it. So I think Ooh. that's what's going on. Oh, all right. uh, no, no worries. It, it, it's a little slight thump in the background. It's okay. Cool. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, and m maybe one of the others, I'll just say like, uh, man, uh, real smart motion blur. That is a pretty good plugin for creating motion blur on footage that doesn't have it. So usually when you're you're trying to make an effect shot and you're going to have to like 3D track it, you want to have a uh, high shutter speed so that every image is crisp. So you can see all the pixels very very detailed and like crisply. <laughs> um, um, but the problem is that crisp footage isn't typically cinematic, quote unquote. Oh, sure. So if you want to like kind of like blurred out to like if you pan over it's not just like a series of still frames that causes kind of like a stuttering look the motion blur kind of like eases your eyes into the motion and uh it's a little bit more of the traditional sort of film look of like motion motion blur right um yeah and it's effect you can do it basically it uses optical flow to identify how the image is moving and then it just directionally blurs it from there Interesting. Uh, yeah it's, it's it's not a super complex plugin i'm a, i'm surprised we haven't seen more versions like it yeah. uh, that do similar things but yeah it kind of covers all the ground so I, we threw that onto a lot of footage from the Domino's video for instance sure okay wow oh, that's kind of cool something so simple huh uh, oh and uh, so I have two 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 things because um, I try to balance uh, conversation and and kind of education so um, I'll, I'll, I'll start with um, Say someone is just starting out. What are some of the things? I feel like this is kind of a classic question. What are some of the things? If you could go back and talk to ten years ago, Ren, what are some of the things you wish you knew from at the beginning? Some and um, and and resources today that could help people. Um, yeah, with their with their own videos who want to kind of do what you guys do. 
Okay, so that that's kind of dependent on what they want to do. Uh, sure. Okay. Um, so it's like well, to get started. It, like, do they want to be a visual effects artist or a YouTuber? Yeah. Let's take it from the visual effects angle. Okay, so that I have a little bit less experience in because I don't have any sort of traditional experience in the visual effects industry. Okay. So if you're wanting to kind of get into visual effects to actually work on movies and whatnot, I'm not going to have the most insightful uh, advice. Okay. <laughs> uh, obviously, my advice is very much so geared towards doing your own stuff. Yeah. Um, but I, well, I, yeah, do, like, I do know a little bit. So, like, let's say, like, you want to get into the visual effects industry. There are programs out there that, like, do more official, like, schooling-type programs that get you into, you know, you get your d diploma or whatever it is you get, and then you kind of get hired on to the more traditional uh, visual effects studios. Um, from there, basically, my advice for that is just develop a reel. Because mm -hmm. uh, in, in the entertainment industry, no one cares where you went to school. No one cares if you got a degree at all. All they care about is what you can do for them. And to do that, you have to prove that you can do what they want you to do. And if you're some sort of editor or director or visual effects artist, it is your portfolio that matters. So as a visual effects artist, you just need to have done a lot of visual effects and you narrow it down to your best ones that you put in this this uh, visual effects reel. Mm -hmm. and, and that is your calling card. That is your business card. That is your resume. And it's just yeah. a simple like one to two minute video on YouTube with your best visual effects whatever so that's that's like a whole separate side of things sure um if you're wanting to kind of get into being a youtuber and making videos or maybe mm -hmm. even making short films with visual effects in them the most like if you're just starting out the most important thing is quantity not quality okay. sure because after a few years you're going to look back on that stuff even if you put all of your points into quality rather than quantity it's still going to pale in comparison to what you can do now so sure. there's no reason to kind of like worry about how good your thing is obviously you're going to try to make it good but you need to not worry about making it perfect you need to not worry about putting in the extra like time to make sure something you want is in there you have to like kind of temper your ambition a little bit in order to create it to to produce content more frequently uh, okay. because it's the frequency of turnaround that is actually going to increase your skill set than focusing so much time on like a single thing. It's doing more things that'll actually do that. Will will improve your your skills over time, so that over the course of let's say uh, months or a year of you, you know, putting out a new video every single week. By the mm -hmm. time you're a year deep, putting out a video is going to seem like the easiest thing. Like oh whatever I'm, i'll shoot this thing i already know it's going to take me three hours to edit the thing i'll be done by the end of the day tomorrow i can start adding in the a few effects that i planned for it because i knew to only add three as opposed to 50 and sure. and you get good at all of the other things that you don't know that you should be good at like idea right. creation coming up with like efficient uh storytelling and mm -hmm. getting or whatever it is that you're trying to do if you do a lot of it you start getting really good at doing that thing yeah that makes sense because it, it kind of ties back to what you were saying earlier about about your your crew's own process is like if you if you put those sort of constraints on yourself like I'm going to produce X number of videos a month you you then have to learn how to make those decisions of where to not cut corners necessarily but know where to save time or like like you said I can't only do this many effects because I only have this much time um, yeah. And yeah, that frequency, yeah, that, that makes a lot well, of sense. Well, even like, to, to even like add on top of that, for instance, I, I have this series that I like, internally I call it the scale of science. Um, it's basically like these, these videos that I do where I kind of just explain the scale of either the universe or how big Star Wars ships are, or how small yeah. atoms are, stuff like that, right? Yeah, the um, billion very, dollars. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's a very specific type of video that I've, I've learned to create. And at the beginning, I don't think I was that good at it. Or at least it was it was much more challenging for me to come up with the actual uh not necessarily the concept the concept is easy but turning the concept into an actual video is hard and i started working on this video gosh a year and a half ago uh where i was detailing how many solar panels would be required to power the entire planet oh yeah and i was like oh that seems like a simple idea how much power does the earth use how many solar panels can provide that power answer done and then i can like do some stuff around it but the more i actually started researching it and looking into it the answer was like not remotely that easy oh, um uh, wow. and after I, I spent i don't know a couple days trying to figure that out
And eventually I gave up. I was like, I am not ready to pursue this concept. And I moved on to other ideas in the same field. Uh, I am now trying to go back to that same idea because I feel like I have enough experience now that I can do that video where I couldn't do it before because I've done enough of these videos over the last two years that I feel like I know how to do this kind of video. I know the sort of talking points that would work well in video format rather than like, because it's always a matter of choosing what am I not going to talk about okay. rather than what am I going to talk about. Right. Yeah. So that's, 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 that comes from the quantity aspect. And granted, I haven't been putting out these videos every week or every month even. Um, right. I think I had a plan to put out 12 videos in 2019. We called it internally my dirty dozen. <laughs> I think in the end I produced six or seven. I don't remember. Okay. Um, because, you know, I'm, there's tons of other things I'm working on here in the company and I would only be able to do 12 of those, like the only thing I did. Sure. But the point being is that because I've done so many of them, uh, I've gained the experience of how to actually build one of those videos. Whereas if I spent, you know, half a year just trying to make one of those videos absolutely perfect, sure, that video probably would be as good as it possibly could be. It'd probably be the best video of any of them I made. But now I spent half a year on one video and now it's time to work on the next video, but I only have the experience of this one video. Right. That makes sense. I like it. That's cool. I, I, I hear similar advice um, in, in other industries as well. It's like just, um, you know, produce, iterate, and produce. Just keep going and, and practice, practice. Don't don't get so caught up in, in uh, perfection. Yeah, just... you used my favorite word, iterate. Yeah. Iterate is one of like, it legitimately is one of my favorite words, but it is also like, like it's, it's probably the most important thing you can learn how to do is iterate. That's, that's li literally that one word summarizes everything I just spent the last five minutes talking about. <laughs> <laughs> All about iteration. But it, yeah, it's, it's good to expand and, and kind of illustrate the, a little bit more of the detailed step-by-steps too. Um, yeah. Um, wow. Yeah. That was, that kind of. I'm just kind of thinking about my own work as well. I, I get I get kind of caught up in in like my own day to day like analytics um, with social okay. media, uh -huh. and and um, I have to I, I have to re remind myself all the time that like it, it's it's bigger picture. Like I need to I need to look more at like how well have I done over the past three months, six months, year. Not man, this week how come nobody is engaging with my content? You know. Um, but then I still ask, uh, I still have to ask that question, like, well, why? And try and figure out, okay, well, how do I do better? And, yeah. and you know, so that's really cool. Uh, let's see. Oh, I have an interesting question. So, um, if where uh, in in the beginning, like, say somebody who just one person, um, you hear a lot of times that a, the having a great camera is not going to make great videos so yeah. what what one what one piece of equipment do you think is the most important for making a great video oh gosh um oh gosh <laughs> one piece of equipment yeah, just for one. making a great video yep i mean if, you, if I you're think... gonna spend 60 percent of your budget on a on like hardware i guess i'm maybe i'm tweaking the question a bit but yeah what what do you think is the most one single most important piece of equipment for making a good video well i mean perhaps it's fate that i'm talking to you for this answer but it's the computer <laughs> sure the computer okay. is by far and away the most important tool um because you can use any camera cameras are always evolving they're always getting better and they're all good enough your phone is good enough of a camera um so it's the computer is where you're going to be spending most of your time. It's where you're going to be doing all your editing. It's going to be the actual thing that dictates how fast your project is going to render, how long it's going to take you to edit, uh, whether you're having trouble scrubbing through footage or whatever. Um, you know, having a good computer is key to making sure that you're able to edit at the speed of thought um, to kind of like reduce the barrier between what you want or what you're seeing in your head and what you're able to create on the computer. Um, outside of that, if we're talking like non-camera equipment, um, I always say it's, it's audio is incredibly important. If you, it, sure, again, sure. it depends very much to what kind of video you're making. Are you doing a talking head? Are you just doing like short films? Uh, if you have any sort of dialogue where you want people to actually listen to someone talking, audio is incredibly important. It's arguably more important than video. Uh, but apart from that, on the video side of things, if, if let's say you already have a good mic, you already have a good 
uh, computer and you're just and but you don't you have like an eh camera like you have a camera that's like three years old it, it's like one of the first cameras that shoots 4k as an True. example I, I can imagine some people being in that situation they splurge on a camera three years ago and they're thinking maybe they need to get a newer camera to be competitive like the thing is though is they don't need yeah sure like they maybe they have the a7 one or whatever mm -hmm. a7s2 um and they're looking to get the new camera because they're like oh it'll get me a few more pixels and that'll change my game it won't <laughs> um what will change your game more is good lighting uh -huh. There are several companies out there. Uh, the, our favorite to work with is Aperture. They make uh, really good affordable lights, and that's key. So honestly, if you can just if you have like a small amount of money and you want to put it towards something that will make your visuals look better, like higher production quality, investing in a light kit, uh, some soft boxes, or even just a single LED light panel that maybe can do like RGB, will go so much further than the quality of your camera. For instance, I did last year. I did this video. Most of my videos, my science videos, I recorded on a Canon 80D. That vi that camera is like six years old now. It doesn't. It shoots 1080p. Yeah. Like, it's and yet all <laughs> of my videos are shot with that camera because it's so easy to use. Uh, the files are not large. That's an important one for me. I don't like to shoot on the red because I end up with like a 30 second video clip that's 10 gigabytes. Yeah. Um, that's an exaggeration, but um, I'm I'm shooting. You know dozens of minutes if not hours worth of footage of me just talking to a camera that i have to edit down i uh so canon 80d is great for that but where i so the star wars video that i did last year right mm -hmm. i talked about the scale of star wars ships i shot the whole thing in the studio and i just took these colored led panels and i just splashed different colors up on the wall behind me and on top of having a light uh, a key light on my face to make sure that i was well lit sure. and that made the all of every single shot in that video of me talking to camera was a decent looking image mm -hmm. and it sure it would have looked better if i shot it on a red but it looked good enough it looked in my opinion i thought it looked great uh and yeah. it was all because of the lighting so lighting is incredibly important i also was using a lav mic good audio um those two things in my opinion are more important than the camera you use sure and then of course i turned around and edited all of that on my puget systems computer oh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> gotta have the plug there thanks <laughs> <laughs> we checked that off of your off your list there. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, and, and I hear I've heard similar um, in photography as well. Like you can have the camera is so much less important than the lighting, and um, and it's and and um, it's interesting that you touched on audio as well because I remember one time uh, watching a documentary on I think it was the original Halloween. They, they, when they were screening it to um, execs and stuff, they hadn't finished the theme that do, 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 that piano riff that they do, and everybody thought it was like super boring. Nobody liked it, and once they finally had that, 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 it's real simple. It's just like once they did, had that in there and then played it to another round of of people, it. The suspense was there. It was mm -hmm. super scary. Everybody thought it was like <gasps> the thing. Yeah. And, and and that that right there just makes all of the difference. The audio can the, set the mood, set the the real Absolutely. tone so much more than than just the visuals. And yeah. The, I mean, I was just talking about uh, just the microphone quality, but oh, like sure. honestly, it goes. You're you're exactly right. Like sound design in and of itself is incredibly important. Having the right music, having the right tonality of music to fit the theme of what emotions you're trying to evoke. Um, yeah, that's why we always try to have good sound design on all of our videos. If we have enough time, we'll do it ourselves. It will <laughs> usually require Sam's time for a couple days. Uh, if he can't do that time, uh, we'll usually hire someone. It's one of the only tasks we actually hire out of Corridor oh, wow. um, is a sound designer. We have a good friend. His name is Kevin Sanzaki. He's an amazing sound designer. Um, and But he's not part of the Corridor team, but we hire him on for a project like, oh, this Corridor video needs some sound design, um, and we'll work with him. Yeah, that's cool. That that kind of is an interesting question too. So like, um, how do you how do how do you go about like making like sound effects? I suppose <laughs> is it? I, I've seen I've seen some behind the scenes videos of them like slamming cabbages onto a car hood and and cracking things of celery and stuff to make weird sounds. Do you guys do any sort of thing like that, or is there like a a stock sound? Both. Like so uh, okay. usually, uh, I mean, I'm not really a sound designer. I've done sound design in the past. I, I kind of know the concepts and, and can kind of stumble my way through it. I don't think I'm by any means good at it, okay. but I can do it. Uh, Sam is good at it. And so, okay. uh, for instance, 
for the boss town dynamics video last year he actually like took some servos and like he took my drone and like spun up the motors and he literally just put a microphone next to it and kind of just like acted out like the movements of the robot using just like the the servo controller and or whatever um okay and so those are raw assets excuse me that he created to use in sound design and then of course he applies his, his uh audio effect wizardry to it that i don't understand at all um Beyond that, though, we do have a very large library of existing sound effects. Okay. Um, and that's usually the only thing I will use is just like, uh, I'll just open up a folder, kind of browse through it until I found a sound that kind of fits what I'm imagining for this moment. And I'll just like drop it into the edit and there it is. Um, whether it's a bass drop or some sort of like whoosh or a, or a crack sound or something like that. Um, but yeah, like the create the 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 process of creating those sound effects though are 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 very fun for sound designers. They love doing that, and it it also gives you a very unique sound. It's because it's like this sound literally only exists here because I recorded it. One of my favorites. So I did this video like six years ago. Um, it was video game characters versus superheroes. Okay. It was like Master Chief versus Thor, right? Um, <laughs> Alex Vance from Half-Life versus Wolverine, okay, you know, stuff okay. like that. And at the end of it, because uh, they're trying to get the Tesseract back before it was like the Infinity Stones. And uh, the end of the video, uh, a Pokemon Master Ball, which can catch any Pokemon, yep. is now trying to capture a Tesseract, which is like the ultimate source of energy or whatever. And it's like, it's it was, yeah, this crazy moment. Um, but it, it had this really like grinding sound effect that was like electrically charged, but also like, you know, something like that. And I, so I asked Kevin, who did the sound design on that, I was like, how did you get that sound? And he's like, I took some dry ice cubes and put it on a ladder. Okay. And it it, it vibrated on the ladder. Because the ice Weird. cubes, because it's dry ice. It's like, right, what? right. It's carbon trioxide. I don't know what, whatever. Car it's, frozen it's, carbon dioxide, yeah. yeah. It's, it's very cold. And uh, it's sitting on a, a thermally conductive material of a ladder. Oh, like like, an like, like a vertical yeah. ladder like this and yeah. just put it on one of the rungs and it would start just kind of like vibrating in place and you just put the microphone oh. up next to it and it created this like it's kind of like how uh for star wars they got those uh those pew pew laser sounds by just yeah. taking going up to a metal cable taking a metal wrench and just whacking it whack and it was like choo, 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 choo. wow yeah. oh man i love that kind <laughs> of stuff it's cool stuff that's neat well and then i mean just and then the context of that sound too kind of changes it. Like, you know, you, if you if you had heard that sound in a different kind of video, you would think it was something else entirely. Sure, like, absolutely. That's, that's cool. Uh, okay, so here's a here's a question we have from from Twitch uh, from Sang Sang Twitch. Okay. Sang uh, Ren, what do you feel like is the, the next big thing? Or, or no, I'm sorry, I, I've said that wrong. Ren, what do you feel like the next big thing is for VFX? Oh boy, okay. Um, I think there's two things that are currently happening right now, and it's a revolution in procedural creation and also artificial intelligence. Um, artificial intelligence as a phrase ai uh is thrown around way too often but it, it that sort of idea of like deep learning of mm -hmm. like iterating upon a, a thing so that like these actual programs are generating content you know we're seeing that with deep fakes uh i think deep fakes are going to be a very big deal here soon um for good or bad or worse whatever um but uh, on top of that we're starting to see more intelligent uh things of like 3D tracking a scene or taking a 2D image or video and being able to figure out depth and Ooh. generate depth mats from a 2D video uh, or or being able to uh, intelligently rotoscope every person in a shot without mm. missing edges or anything like that. You know, those are already tools that are starting to come into existence right now. And um, it's still super early days, but it's like I can easily foresee in five years uh, that like I can be like, I'm going to do this stupidly advanced effect because all of the hard work isn't hard anymore. I can, mm -hmm. I can literally just whip out my phone, which is going to be like a freaking eighty k sensor or whatever. <laughs> Again, probably sure. exaggerating. Uh, walk through like just the shots, and it's like sweet. I now have this 
this this high quality image with a 3D camera track already generated because it 3D tracked it live right. uh, using the sensors of the phone, which again, we're also already starting to see that sort of thing happen. Um, and now I also have a depth mat. So anytime, so let's say I wanna create a 3D object. Well, my phone already generated the smoke simulation of this bird flying or whatever. And I dropped it right into the middle of my scene. And oh, there's this chair that goes between me and the thing on the ground. But the camera already rotoscoped the whole thing for me. And like literally on my phone, I'm like, oh, that's cool. Like this little thing I, I made, it's high level visual effects. And I did it on my phone and posted it on Instagram because it took five minutes of my time. Wow. I, I, I totally believe it too, because I feel like a lot of those individual pieces kind of exist already like i just saw today that they have um the rotoscope roto brush 2 is on ipad now and they're what? Are, yeah i was just I wait was just, what yeah, yeah roto brush 2 is on the ipad <clears throat> maybe that i just yeah i just saw that uh today on twitter um action movie dad actually was just talking about it too okay, on twitter yeah. and um Ashi. yeah yeah and uh they were showing an example it was like a photograph Maybe it's not in After Effects. Maybe it was just for for Photoshop. Uh, okay. No, I'm pretty sure. No, I'm pretty sure it was for um, for video. Okay. But um, but I they just showed... got a brand new iPad a few months ago, so I'm like exploring all the really high level advanced apps that I can get on it. I'm super stoked. Adobe's doing some really amazing things with their iPad apps. Um, it's it's. I was at Adobe Max last year, and it was blowing my mind. And um, but yeah, and, and it's in. It's it's pretty good, and I think it it kind of blurs the edge a little. It's not super sharp, but it, it kind of fuzzes the edges a little bit. Okay. And um, but still, that's on an iPad. Like yeah, no, I yeah, that's super cool. I think we're gonna start seeing a lot more professional grade uh, mobile programs. Oh, it's, um, it's I, I also have the comments section open from YouTube right now, and oh sure, I totally forgot to mention virtual production. I was it's yeah, a huge thing soon. Yeah. Um, pioneered by or. Not necessarily pioneered. Okay, who am I kidding? It of course definitely is pioneered by the Mandalorian. Sure. Um, it is probably my most exciting technology revolution in filmmaking ever, uh, because of all the the. I mean, it, it requires changing your workflow pipeline a little bit, so you have to actually start creating a lot of assets before you ever even begin production. Okay. Um, but the idea of being able, like, because. The Mandalorian is the perfect example of how it was amazing because they shoot on all these different exotic locations, all these different planets, all these different environments and, and like biomes, right? You know, it goes right. from like ice world to the middle of the jungle to a desert uh, to spaceships. Um, and all of it was shot in this warehouse in this same location because, I mean, not everything. I think I forget the exact number. I think it was something like 70% of the sure. show was filmed in the volume. And the other 30% were actual real sets or locations. Okay. Um, and it's like, because it gives you the perfect, it, it, there's so many benefits to that. But the problem is that that's like a multi-million dollar warehouse uh, sure. and run by the people who invented it. Like right. literally the people who are coming up with this stuff are the people running the show. So right, it's not right. something that like, they just built this this set and now other people who didn't make it are now having to use it. That will eventually and very soon become a thing. They're starting to build more of those volumes in other uh, locations. I think Atlanta oh. will likely be the next place to get a volume. Sure. Um, Weren't but you that, guys kind of fiddling around with something similar, right? I've um, kind of. Seen so something like the that. basis of that technology is, is real-time rendering. And the best real-time renderer right now is Unreal Engine. Right. And they're definitely starting to really focus on the filmmaking possibilities and opportunities from that sort of thing. And uh, yeah, no, it's super cool. So Sam, that's kind of been his pet project this year is getting okay. really into Unreal Engine and, and doing all that stuff. Um, and so ideally, so I mean, currently right now we're doing like the real-time rendering of, of whatnot, but it's not based on real uh, camera work. And okay. if, if we did get into that, it would probably be with a green screen because we can't afford million dollars worth of LED panels. Sure. <laughs> um, uh, Matt Workman from Cinematographer yes. Cinematography DB, he's kind of like at the forefront of virtual production right now for at the indie scale. Yeah. You know, he's using uh, uh, virtual reality headsets and and Vive trackers and a green screen to get all kinds of like stuff. Like I love the stuff he's working on. It's really cool. Oh yeah, that, I I follow him on Twitter too, and and it's blowing my mind. Some yeah. Of the the it's the combination of it all. The it's like basically just a green screen cube. And mm -hmm. and then he's he, like you said he's got the Vive tracker on the camera and the, and Vive Vive 
like the the wands i think it's mostly those yeah and and it and it's blowing my mind that it's just one person like sitting in a chair and it's like a video game scene and and they're able to track the camera through 3d space in the in the yeah absolutely it's it's just man and and that's what i love about all this stuff is that like technology's create new ideas uh back in the early days of corridor uh a lot of our videos were literally based off of like hey i learned this new visual effect technique how can we turn that into a video and so the video ends up being a little bit of a visual effects test with a Mm -hmm. simple story wrapped around it with a few effects and this fun video throw it up on youtube think no one's gonna watch it and suddenly a lot of people (laughs) um but uh the like i already have an idea for how to utilize the indie scale version of like the real-time uh, tracking and, and rendering and whatnot. I want to do a video where, so NASA has this planned mission. I don't know how real it is yet, but it's mm-hmm. they talked about it. They want to turn a giant crater on the moon into a satellite dish. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's a okay. super cool idea. Like I, I, I was reading about it, I was like, that's the most badass thing ever. Yeah. Using like this giant, like four mile wide crater into a giant dish to like look at radio waves from the beginning of the universe. Yeah. Uh, without any like atmosphere or it'd be on the other side of the moon. So even all the radio traffic from earth wouldn't like pollute oh, it. Oh, shadowed out. Yeah, that's Yeah, great. and so I was like, I really want to talk about this idea, but the best way to do it is for me to be on the moon. Oh, I got to be on the moon to talk about this idea. And that's like, okay. So now we're talking green screening me out. Uh, to be on this planet uh, with moving cameras, that's that's a stupid amount of work. And so I'm not going to do that unless <laughs> I do it with this system where it's like, all right, we got a camera tracked up to Unity with a, a moon map uh, in real time, doing real time green, tre- green screen uh, keying um, to generate this stuff. And so ideally, it's just a simple matter of like polishing it up and like I'm standing on the moon. Obviously, we'd match our lighting and whatnot. And right. then I'd go through all the same things. Uh oh. Oh, your video. That, can you hear me? I still hear you. Okay, this happened to us last time. Oh no. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh god, dang it. Bear with us during this uh, technical difficulties. The camera again. Oh no. It, this happened on our last live stream like a week ago. <laughs> Did you kick the computer again? I think that was, actually I think it was Clint who did that last time. It was. We have this USB cable dangling out of the back of uh, our computer here, and I just barely tapped it with my foot, and I lost video signal. Oh, no. uh, I still see you, though. Um, and fortunately, you can still hear me. There you are. Hey, there you go. Okay. I, had to, I had to physically unplug the cable and plug it back in because oh, wow. I guess it just got seated wrong or something. This is not... A Puget Systems computer with a crap. Oh no! See, it's got a crap USB port. That's, in the, that's back. the problem right there. That's the problem, you know, that's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> Time to make a procedurally generated Ren in Unreal, Get real fast. Give me just a sec. <laughs> yeah, of course. Right. <laughs> uh, oh yeah, I'm I'm really really excited to see the future of 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 kind of both styles of that visual production. The the big super fancy LED wall kind mm-hmm. of thing, but also that. Um, just the potential uh, and the and the green screen sort of indie indie style of doing it because like the potential for like machinima sort of things or Mm -hmm. or like injecting yourself into like a video game scene or something and that's just basic like low level i'm a noob at this kind of thing i can i can only imagine this something in the hands of somebody much more creative Um, sure man it's it's gonna be it's 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 very exciting it's very exciting because for every new technology that arises uh someone will come up with the perfect idea to utilize it yeah, oh, at the, I'm I'm constantly amazed of the at the 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 point in time that we're living. Like yeah, it's it's amazing. <laughs> um, okay, so we're we are a little over, and I know I know we've got to keep to a window here. Um, so uh, is there we'll we'll wrap it up. Is there anything you'd want to shout out or or say hello to or any 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 last words of advice or anything like that you want to throw out there? Oh man, I don't know. Uh, thanks everyone for tuning in. If you're watching this now while it's live or after the fact, years down the road, thank you for watching. Yeah. I hope uh, you enjoyed uh, what Houston and I talked about. Yeah, I, man, uh, we'll have to do a part two because, oh, and maybe bring some other some other guys from the crew on as well, um, because uh, you guys is 
the things that you're doing and the insight that you have in like it's a it's an interesting crossover of professional but not hollywood you right know what I yeah. Mean? yeah and and so you guys those the things you're doing and the insight that you can provide is just is miles deep I, we could go on and on forever <laughs> and uh so thank you thank you very much for for taking time out of the day to, to come and talk with us and um and and as well the audience for joining us as well um and i imagine uh if there if you guys have any other questions i'm sure i'm not to speak for ren but i'm sure you can hit him <laughs> up on twitter and he'll probably do his best to to help out i'm usually uh, pretty same. active on twitter or instagram yeah and and the same for us too um puget systems on twitter and, and all those other places um so thank you guys very much and thank you again ren for for joining us and we do this uh we do this wednesdays and fridays uh wednesdays we bring industry experts on to talk about their workflow and and give advice and expertise to the to the audience at large and then on fridays uh is more internal we bring a guy from labs to talk about kind of the crossover of hardware and software and so that's both at one uh wednesdays fridays 1 p.m um we try and do it every week so tune in and uh we'll